Welcome to the international teaching ministry of Dr. Joseph G. Matera. As the presiding bishop of Christ Covenant Coalition, he travels the world teaching biblical truth with profound results in both the church world and the marketplace. Allow the Holy Spirit to speak to your heart and transform your mind as His Word is spoken by one of God's ablest communicators. All right, so open up your Bibles to James chapter 2. We're going to talk about faith, works, and status in the church. Faith, works, and status in the church. Okay. In James chapter 2, verse 1. He says, my brothers, show no partiality as you hold to the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. For if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly, and a poor man in shabby clothing also comes in, and if you pay attention to the one who wears the fine clothing and say, you sit here in a good place while you say to the poor man, you stand over there or sit down at my feet, have you not then made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my beloved brothers, has not God chosen those who are poor in this world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom, which he has promised to those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor man. Are not the rich ones those who oppress you and the ones who drag you into court? Are they not the ones who blaspheme the honorable name by which you are called? If you really fulfill the royal law according to Scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You're doing well. But if you show partiality, you are committing sin and are convicted by the law as sinners. But whoever keeps the whole law but falls in one point has become accountable for all of it. For he who said do not commit adultery also said do not murder. For if you do not commit adultery but do murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. So speak and so act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty. But judgment is without mercy to the one who has shown no mercy. And mercy triumphs over judgment. Okay, so basically the key in this portion here is, is to show no distinctions, to show no distinctions between people. And, uh, and so that's why we're calling this faith works and status in the kingdom. And so we think about showing partiality. Uh, do you ever find yourself in a situation where you felt like you were too tired to do anything. Let's say you were supposed to clean the house, you were supposed to go shopping, you were supposed to do whatever. And you just really just didn't feel like you are in the mood or you didn't feel like you had the energy to do it, right? Then all of a sudden, let's say you're about to go to sleep and a special comes on TV. You find out your favorite show's coming on. Oh, they, the sports is now coming on. All of a sudden you perk up. Now you have the energy. Right? Now you have the energy to do something that you didn't think you had. Uh, well, it's because it has to do with your interest. And whatever you're interested in, you have the energy for, you have the passion for. Right? That's how it works. And, and so what God is saying through James here is that there are some people that we show partiality to. That is to say, we give them greater attention, and he's trying to correct that uh, through this, this passage. And so let's just get back to James chapter 2, verse 1, where he says, My brothers, show no partiality as you hold to the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. That is to say, Jesus 
didn't live like this, so because he didn't live like this, and he doesn't think like this, and he doesn't act like this, God so loved the world, not just some of the people, but the world, right? Because Jesus is like this, he's saying that when we show partiality, we are against the ways of God. And then he gives an illustration. He says, and I don't have to read the whole thing again. Basically, he's saying, if somebody comes into the room, into the church meeting, it could be, in those days, they probably had meetings in people's houses. If somebody comes into the meeting dressed really nice, and they, they could, you know, it looks like they have a lot of money, put it that way, and you put them in the best seat, but somebody who's dressed shabbily, you know, you just put them somewhere in the back or say, sit at my footstool. Um, he's saying that you are shown partiality and you are guilty of evil thoughts. So it's very interesting how he says you're guilty of evil. Now, the backdrop of this letter is in Rome. During that time, two-thirds of the Roman Empire were slaves. Can you believe it? Two-thirds were slaves. And then there were people who were Roman citizens and people who were not Roman citizens. Uh, you had people who were wealthy, people who were part of the nobility because they were connected to money or power. There were people who were politicians, career politicians, and they were treated like kings. But two-thirds of the country, and the empire rather, uh, really were slaves and they had no rights. Uh, and they were not treated good. So that kind of mentality came into the church. Now, why does that happen? Because that's how they were brought up. Do you know the way you are brought up is going to determine how you interpret the Bible? You know that? Do you know that the American culture, or if you were brought up in uh, Santo Domingo, the Dominican culture, uh, or the Arabic culture, or the African culture, or the Chinese culture, wherever you came from, and how you were brought up and how that country did things will affect the way you view God, the way you view the church, and even the way you interpret the Bible. So in this particular instance, the church was brainwashed by Rome, and they treated rich people better than poor people. Because that's how it was done in the world. Now, don't look at me like I'm crazy. You are affected by American culture. There are things you act like, you do. As a matter of fact, I'll venture to say that in the body of Christ, they probably think more like the people with the values of Access Hollywood than Christianity. The media, video games, the movies that we watch probably affect the way you view the world and even the way you act, even more the way the Bible is, right? And so what is the Bible? The Bible is God's Word. Some would say God's Word. That means it's filled with God's thoughts. It's filled with God's perspective. It's filled with God's truth. It's viewing the world the way God views it. And so there is a cultural way to view the world, and there is a biblical way. The trick for all of us is to get ourselves out of American culture or Chinese culture or African culture or black culture or Anglo culture and get in a Christian culture where there is no distinctions and where there is a way of viewing the world. So God's word 
is about thinking God's thoughts after God. In other words, we have a derivative call. We are not called to create anything. We're called to mimic the Creator. We're called to act like God. We're called to be like God. We're called to be Christ-like. You can't create anything. Nobody can create anything. There's only one Creator. But out of our gifts and talents, we can discover ways of doing things, and it looks like we're creating things. So in God's Word, there is a way of viewing people. Now, how many know God made black people? How many know God made white people? How many know God made Latino people, right? God made people of different shapes, sizes, colors, callings, assignments. God made some people to be really rich. God made some people who were never going to be rich. God made every kind of color and type of people. And what he is saying here, it is evil to treat one type of people better than another type of people. I always love it when uh, I'm lost somewhere. I don't love that. I get frustrated when, well, you know, I haven't gotten lost in a long time because of some invention called the GPS. Although the GPS sometimes is confused and it makes me go around in circles and then I do get frustrated. You know, I think GPS is smoking something sometimes. I don't know. Uh, and I resisted using a GPS for many, many years because I didn't want another woman telling me what to do and how to drive. So, uh, but when I did get lost, I loved to pull up to a person in what we would call a bad neighborhood, looks different than me, and I'd wear a suit because I'm preaching somewhere or something, and I love to pull up to especially a homeless person and say, Sir, can you please help me? I'm lost. As soon as I said the word, sir, guy looks white in a suit calling this guy who looks homeless, uh, sir, he would be so happy. I mean, a smile would come, idiot, jump up, anything I needed, he would want to do it to help me. He probably was never called sir in his life. And so the word of God teaches us that because everybody's made in God's image, whether they're gay or straight, whether they vote Republican or Democrat, whether they're for Obama or for somebody else, everybody was made in the image of God. Therefore, we must love and honor and respect every person we meet. Do you understand that? Not because we agree with their lifestyle, but because they're made in God's image. That's like God walking around. It's not God but it's in God's image. It's a reflection of God. And so when the church only loves certain kinds of people, and this is the danger when we, we preach politics too much. We alienate other people. When we emphasize one thing over another or one people group over another, we hurt others. Not because Jesus doesn't love them, but because we act like we don't love them. There are some churches... It's more of an ethnic-centric gospel. If you are not of their ilk or of their color, you feel like you're out of place, right? There are some places, some churches, even though everybody in that community speaks English and that community is multi-ethnic, they only have one kind of ethnic group. And you go there, it's because it's my people. And it's, my, it's all about my, who's your people? If you're a Christian, you're a pastor, your people should be every people's, right? 
But if you're not part of their people group, you feel like you're not loved, you're not worthy of anything. God hates racism. God doesn't want an Afrocentric gospel. God doesn't want a Latino-centric gospel. God doesn't want an Anglo-centric gospel. God doesn't want an Asian-centric gospel. There's only one gospel, and that's the gospel of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. It's okay to have a church that only speaks a language like Mandarin or, or, or a certain language, uh, Hispanic or something like that. Uh, but, you know, you have to reach people who don't speak English. We understand that. But if you're in a community that's multi-ethnic and you only have one kind of people, there's a problem as far as I'm concerned. You are betraying the gospel. And uh, if we treat people that we think have money better than people who don't have money, we have betrayed the gospel. How many understand what I'm saying? Hey, I know it. Sometimes I have to dress up when I get on a plane, quite frankly, because if they lose my luggage and i got to preach that night, i got to have a suit on. That's happened. The Holy Ghost said to me once, I was going to Eastern Europe, he said, wear your suit. I said, come on, i got to take two planes, 15 hours, wear your suit. Good thing I did. They lost my luggage. I had to get off the plane and preach to 3,000 people. Uh, and uh, they wouldn't have liked it if I was hanging out in shorts, believe me. So when I'm treated much better by people, before I had my airline status, now I'm sky priority, Hallelujah. I fly so much, I can, I can dress the way I want, because I got sky priority. I'm platinum status. Hallelujah. But before I had that, boy, you had to dress a certain way. Man, I have a friend of mine, very wealthy guy, and uh, he hates the status stuff, but he has a lot of money, he's a developer, and so he goes to these uh, uh, political, uh, social things, uh, him and his wife, and uh, and so he loves to, to play this game when he goes in. He separates from his wife. He says, you go on this side of the room, I'll go on the other, and we'll meet in about a half hour. So he's working the room, and everybody in these things, they want to know what you do for a living. They want to know who you are before they invest their 15 minutes. So they come up, uh, what's your name? Yeah, my name is, uh, you know, John. First thing, what do you do? In other words, they're sizing you up. That's how the church is sometimes. They size you up to know if you're worthy. The people, we should be loving everybody. No. Can you be a good friend? Do you have money? Do you have power? Can you help me? Is there something you can do for me? We have people in churches, we call them seekers. We don't have it here. But every church could probably use it. What are seekers? They're people assigned to seek out new people so new people don't feel left out. What do we need seekers for? Everybody here should be a seeker. We shouldn't just congregate with people we know. You see them every week. You can call them up. What about people who are alone? People who come for the first time? Visitors? People should feel loved. There are sometimes there are people who will never darken another church door because when they came in, nobody gave them a bit of their time. They didn't feel loved. People don't care how much you know. They care how much you love. They care how much you are concerned with them. And so uh, even in our church, I'll call us out. Even I'm the pastor here, I'm going to call out our church. 
I go down in the fellowship room, and there are some people that are hanging out by themselves. Nobody's talking to them. They're all alone. It looks like maybe they don't have much to offer, and I feel so awkward, and sometimes in a rush, and I have to go, and I'll stop, and I'll talk to them. I'll hug them. I'll ask them how they're doing. I'd be so embarrassed if somebody in this church was, was needy, and nobody went up to them. We have cliques in the church. There are some people in this church, man, they think they have their name on their seat. If somebody else dare sit in that seat, where's your name? I didn't see your name. Oh, is my seat, name your seat, honey? You know what I'm saying? And it's like we got all these cliques, we got all this stuff. Forget about the cliques. When you come to church, we need to love everybody. We need to gravitate to those God lays on our There might be somebody who's suicidal. There might be somebody who's about to quit their marriage. There might be somebody who needs a word. There might be somebody who needs a hug. And all you care about is seeing the same face every single week. Why don't you forget about that person for one week and start praying and asking God, who needs a word? Who needs a hug? Who needs a touch? Who needs me? Are you serious about following Jesus? Then we're going to act like Jesus. So my friend goes to these occasions. And when they're sizing up, they say, you know, what's your name? But they don't really care about his name. They just want to know, can he do something for them? So as soon as they can go for the jugular, oh, so by the way, what do you do? So what he says is, I'm a garbage man. And they say, well, come again? You, you mean you, you're a supervisor? You own your own company? Your own private sanitary. No, I am my garbage man. Capital G, garbage. <laughs> and they say, oh, oh, okay, well, cool, man. They give him a fist pump. Uh, we'll see you later. And they go somewhere else. Half hour later, he meets up with his elegant wife. And they're in a circle with all these powerful people. And he goes up, he says, come on, mama, give me a kiss. And these people that just walked away from, you know, a dozen people walked away and said he's a garbage man. I said, you're with him? Yeah. He's my partner. We develop buildings. Oh, okay, brother. Well, yeah, here's my, hey, no, 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 I don't want your card. I wasn't good enough before. I'm not good enough now. Right? In the church, we're guilty. We size people up. We minister to people because we think they have something to give us, even if it's just friendship. God is calling us to go above that. Now, it doesn't mean that you can't have friends, close friends. You'd be a fool to trust everybody you meet in church. You'd be a fool to try to make everybody your best friend. You'd be a fool to trust every Tom, Dick, and Harry you meet. But when it comes to respect and love, God has called us to show no partiality. How many understand that? This is the word of God. That's so why I love, one of the best things I like about this church is that we're multi-ethnic. And we got people of wealth and people who are poor in the same church. And I love that. I'm, I'm so excited about that. And so the church is affected by culture. We have all these celebrities who are treated a certain way. You know, there are some famous people who want to go to church that I know, and they can't. Can you guess why they can't go to church? Because as soon as they go to church, everyone's mobbing them and asking them for pictures and selfies and autographs. What in the world is that? That's stupid. So they, go to, they have to go to large churches 
that understand how to treat celebrities. Sometimes I have to come after the service starts, walk up, and then leave before. This is stupid. You got Christians who are Christ followers who are enamored with celebrities who need Jesus as much as anybody else. Are you, you hearing what I'm saying? So we are affected by American culture, and we're, we bring that into the church, and that's what happened here. Galatians 3.28 teaches us that in Christ there is no Jew nor Gentile, nor slave, nor free, nor male, nor female. We read that when we dealt with Galatians. That was revolutionary. In other words, in Jesus' eyes, if you were a slave in Rome and you came to a church like ours, there's no class. You are not a slave. While you're with us in church, you don't, you're not owned by any man. You're just owned by the Lord because he bought you with his blood. You see how revolutionary that was? Uh, how I don't understand how in American history people who said they were Christians believed in slavery when you have so many passages that are against slavery. As a matter of fact, there were churches in the 18th century that had splits. They had denominations that broke up because there were literally denominations, like the Methodist Church, for example, where people would buy their seat. They would pay a lot of money for the next year and purchase a seat. They had their name on it. That's why there was denominational splits. And you have denominations that are called something like the Methodist Free Church. You ever hear the Methodist Free Church? I always wonder, what does it mean, free church? It means they didn't believe you should pay for a seat. They have evangelical free churches. They have, you know, all these churches that were either against slavery or they believed that you could sit anywhere you want. Why do we have this stuff when the Bible is so clear? What did they do with the book of James chapter 2? Can you imagine? When they, in the next six months, if you give $1,000, you could sit over here. What about the book of James? I mean, we are living more by American or by the culture of the world, whatever culture, whatever nation we're in, every nation does this, than we are by Christianity. I want to be influenced by the Bible. I want to be influenced by God's word. I want to go by God's thoughts. How many are here with me today? And so God has called us to love irrespective of someone's religion or their background. And that's where the church could really be the salt of the earth and light of the world. And that was a revolutionary thing. Because you walk out the door of the church, you could be a slave. You come in, you are equal to the emperor of Rome or the president of your nation or the prime minister. You're equal to them in the church because Jesus paved the way. The ground is level at the cross. There is no rich, nor slave, nor poor, nor black, nor white, nor male, nor female. The rich and poor meet together. The Lord is the maker of them all. Hallelujah. And there is no distinction with God, and that's how we ought to be with people. I don't care if someone agrees with me. Some of my closest friends don't agree with me politically. They support candidates I don't agree with. Doesn't mean I can't be their friend. Doesn't mean I can't love them. I don't care if they're gay. I don't care if they're straight. I don't care if they drive their car upside down. It doesn't matter to me. I may not condone their lifestyle, but it doesn't mean I can't love them. It doesn't mean I can't be their friend. It doesn't mean I can't share the gospel. It doesn't mean I can't lay down my life in them. It doesn't mean I can't be kind to them. It doesn't mean that. 
We've been divided by politics. We have bumper stickers. Man, you know with certain bumper stickers, you better not say a certain thing. You got good old boys. You got people. I remember I preached uh, in this place in, in another part of the country. And my friend said, when we go into the store, because I needed something to drink, he said, please do me a favor. Don't open your mouth because they don't want, man, I don't want them to know you're from New York. He said, this is a good old boy's place. And I said, oh, you got to be kidding me. <laughs> I didn't know places like this existed. Well, you know what? I don't care about that, but I care about this place. It better not be any good old boys. It better be equal here. Praise God. And so the Bible is very clear about partiality. And uh, we thank God for the civil rights movement that broke the segregation laws where whites and blacks couldn't congregate together in the South. In the North, it was always okay here. But uh, thank God it broke that racism. But we still have ethnic-centric views where we rather just be with people like us. And when we minister to someone just because they can give back something to us, it's not being like Jesus. So let's move on to the next verse. I could get lost in that verse. I love that verse. And then he goes on to say in verse uh, 8, If you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You are doing well. Love your neighbor as yourself. Someone say neighbor. Someone asked Jesus who their neighbor was. Remember that in Luke 15? This is what Jesus' answer was. Who's your neighbor? Jesus said, there was a man who was beaten by robbers, left for dead. And by chance, a religious person, a Levite, walked by, walked on the other side. A priest walked by. But a Samaritan, a Samaritan was hated by the Jews in those days. He was a half-breed. He was half-Gentile, half-Jewish. There's a long story behind that. They had a different religion. They were hated. They were looked at as despicable people by the Jews. Jesus picked the Samaritan, went to the Jew who was beaten, cared for him, brought him to a hotel, paid for his medical expenses, put him on his own donkey. Jesus said, who is the one who is a neighbor out of the three, the Samaritan? When it says love your neighbor as you love yourself, it means as you would others do unto you, do unto them. Whoever you're around, wherever you're with, that's your neighbor. And so that's the royal law. That means it's a high value. It's, there are laws in the Bible that are greater than others, and that is one of the, that's the second highest. The highest is loving God. The second one is loving your neighbors. You love yourself. So it's called the royal law. But if you show partiality, you're committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. Wow. If you show partiality, you're committing sin. So in the church, we're really great when it comes to preaching against certain sexual sins. And we should be against them. We should be against certain lifestyles in terms of their lifestyle, not the people. We should be against abortion. Planned Parenthood video that came out in the last two weeks is disgusting, despicable. I can't even start talking about it because then I'll lose my whole train of thought. That's how much I hate it. Selling baby parts for money. 
We should hate that stuff. However, it says, if we show partiality, that is to say, if I treat people of wealth better than homeless people, if I treat white people better than black people, or vice versa, it says that I'm guilty of sin. You could be against abortion and live a certain lifestyle, but if you favor one ethnic group over another, God says you're as much a sinner as anybody else that's out there. Isn't that powerful? Woo! Man! Don't shout me down because I'm preaching real good. And so God is not against someone because they're rich, but he's against oppression and injustice. And he seems to have a real thing against rich people here in this one part. He says, oh, not the rich ones, the ones who, who oppress you and the ones who drag you into court. But what James is talking about in verse 8 and 9 is there, the rich people were the Jews who made political alliances with Rome and who betrayed their own people, sold out their own people and dragged them into court and tried to oppress them. So he's not talking about all people. As a matter of fact, what is God's view on rich and poor? If you listen to some politicians, he, they, you think that God favors the poor, and you listen to others, God favors the rich. In Leviticus 19.15, you should write this down. Leviticus 19.15, very powerful. It says, you shall do no injustice in court. You shall not be partial, or you shall not favor the poor, or favor or defer to the great or the rich. But in righteousness you shall judge your neighbor. So we shouldn't be a church that only goes after poor people or a church that only goes after rich. We should go after both. Why? Because they both need Jesus. How many could agree with that? And if you don't, I don't care. As we wrap this up, Let's go to verse 10. Kurt, you can sit. We're not finished. We've got 10 minutes left. That's why I can't say wrap this up because they all get up. Stay until we're finished because you're going to miss like 10 minutes. So I try not to say wrap this up because my wrapping up could be 10 minutes. could be even longer. All right. Verse 10. For whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point, someone say one point, becomes accountable for all of it. Woo! I, I, I got to read that again. I, I, I just want us to catch this, the essence of this. For whoever fails at one point of the law has become accountable for all of it. So what does this mean? It means that the whole law is interconnected. So you could be, you know, hey, I hate abortion, and I hate this sexual sin, and man, I tithe, and I go to church, and all, oh, 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 but, man, I don't want to hang out with no black people. Or somebody's not Hispanic, I, man, I don't want to. And you could be on the right side of 90% of the stuff. You miss it on this one point, you're in the same category as all the people you're preaching against. It would be like this. If you're hanging off a cliff with a motorcycle chain, and that's the only thing stopping you from dying, 
which of the links of that chain are the most important? If one of those links breaks, you're dead. One link. The whole law is connected. If we live in a way where we favor one kind of person, we're guilty of the whole thing. Wow. Woo. If we really caught this, my God, it would revolutionize not only the church, but our families, but America for that matter. And so the whole law is connected. Uh, it would be like I said in the first service. Let's say you went to Pasquale's original Italiano pizzeria. And you got the best pizza in America. You have this big pizza pie. And you take out the slice. You're about to eat it. And you see Rose's hair in it. Would you eat the pie? Somebody in your first service said, yes! I said, you just ruined my message. Probably most people wouldn't want to eat the pie. How about if you saw a little cucaracha? See, I didn't want to go there. If I said that in the first service, that guy wouldn't have said, yeah, I'll eat it. Because his wife would have went, boom, you dirty dog, you. Or you're about to buy a beautiful white bridal gown. You've been searching for this for six months. You finally found something. But in the back of the gown, there was a blue ink stain. You wouldn't buy it. And so we're guilty of one aspect of the law. We're guilty of all of it. That's how important this thing about partiality is. And then he gives us, I'm afraid to say, and he ends it like this, because then they'll be running out, the worship team. They'll be all getting up. Sal can't wait to get up there. Put that bass in his hands. Hold on, I'm going to prophesy with that bass. <laughs> Verse 12. So speak and so act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty. For judgment, verse 13, without mercy to one who has shown, for judgment is without mercy to one who has shown no mercy. And mercy triumphs over judgment. Oh, that's one thing we need to hang up in our mirror in the kitchen. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Let's say that. Mercy triumphs over judgment. When in doubt, you don't know whether you should judge someone or judge something or not. Remember, mercy triumphs over judgment. And that's in the context of partiality, which means that we're walking around talking bad about people who don't agree with us, treating certain people the wrong way. To the degree we judge others, Jesus said we're going to be judged. Slander, gossip, criticism, nitpicking about others in the church, about other people, God says in the same measure you talk about them, others are going to do the same to you. You will be judged. Worse yet, the day of judgment will be held, account held accountable for our words. So in the context of judgment and mercy, 
that's where this partiality is as well. So if we see someone breaking this, give them mercy. Love them and try to bring them to a place of viewing things biblically. Now we're over. You have just listened to a life-changing message. For more information about Dr. Matera, to read his numerous articles and teachings, or to inquire about more audio and visual resources, go to his website at www.josephgmatera.com.